This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 27th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Mike Corbett. I was at uh, WRHU from 2000 to 2002. And what shows and programs did you work on? Uh, Mainly sports. Uh, I was the sports director and I believe broadcasted around 50 games uh, during my time there. Did the locker room, helped produce the locker room as assistant sports director for a while. Uh, did a, a lot of Hofstra's morning wake-up call uh, in the morning uh, and was also a frequenter of the Rock and Roll Oasis uh, and used the the name Calzone, which was my college nickname when I was doing the Rock and Roll Oasis. So I guess I had an alter ego while I was at WRHU. Right, well, I'm throwing the script out right away. Calzone, there's got to be a story there. Well, there's definitely a story. So it actually is my first weekend at Hofstra. Um, I was a part of a group of friends that had uh, three mics in them. Um, so uh, the first two mics uh, got called by their last names. Um, for some reason, I didn't. Um, they started calling me Mikey Calzone, which is interesting because I'm Irish, not Italian. Uh, but for whatever reason, um, you know, we... Uh, uh, we, we woke up the next morning and, uh, you know, had some of the, uh, the eggs at the student center and, uh, it all s- still made sense. So Calzone was my nickname, uh, for a subgroup of friends throughout college. And it eventually wound up being the name I used at, uh, WRHU when I broadcasted the rock and roll Oasis. Then everybody else called, eventually called me by my last name Corbett. Cause there are a lot of, there were a lot of mics at the radio station at the time. Understood. Great story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, no. So you worked on uh, the sports department and, and uh, some of the news department. Did you work on any of the weekend programs or com- community affair shows? Uh, I would once in a while pop into some of the weekend shows, uh, you know, the Irish shows. I always like to uh, swing by and, uh, you know, visit Eileen Cronin or Tony Jackson when he was still there. And uh, every, every once in a while I would find myself there on a Sunday morning uh, hanging out with Basha. Uh, because she usually always had baked goods. I don't know if that's still a thing, but uh, her baked goods are amazing. And uh, whenever she needed an, uh, an extra hand as a uh, uh, an engineer, I would be the first person to, to volunteer because it would always be it, it would always come with uh, uh, a very nice treat. Smart man. Um, you mentioned sports director. Did you have any other titles or positions at the station? Uh, not that I recall. I think I might have done something in news briefly, but my focus was sports. That was the reason why I was there. I uh, had a goal of becoming a sports broadcaster. It did not quite happen, but uh, didn't really enjoy my time there. Um, you know, got a chance to meet a lot of folks that went on to do this professionally um, and, you know, long lasting friendships. Uh, I don't know if you've spoken to Keith Irizarry yet, but uh, mm-hmm. he's someone that I know very well, Greg Rice. Uh, who does uh, traffic and uh, on and weather on ten ten winds and uh, uh, for about a half of a year I was technically Jared Greenberg's roommate. Uh, folks would probably know Jared on uh, TNT as like the sideline reporter for N- uh, NBA games. Uh, but I instead of commuting, I bought a couch to stay in their common room, and uh, that's where I slept for half a semester for half a year. Don't tell the university, right? They'll they'll send you a bill, I'm sure. I, this is between you and I. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, my, my opening question is usually what brought you to Hofstra Radio? And, and so you said you had an idea about sports media. Uh, did you know about Hofstra's radio station? And did that make a, was that a factor in your decision to attend Hofstra? 
Absolutely. That was one of the biggest draws, um, getting a chance to visit the radio station when I was on my tour of Hofstra. I always knew that that was the place that I wanted to go, but I just wanted to make sure. And when I saw the radio station and saw the facilities, um, even back in, you know, 1999, they were, um, you know, above and beyond most, if not every college in the local area. Uh, once I saw that, my decision was made. I always knew that that was going to be the place that I went. And luckily I got in and, you know, after one semester, I, uh, I, I took the time to take the training course and um, was on the air by the, uh, by the summer of 2000. So you mentioned going to the station on a tour. Was that a, like a general station tour? Did you have a personal tour? Do you remember anybody that you maybe met that day? You know what the funny part about it is I couldn't tell you a single person that I met. Um, I just remember the studio um, because the studio was, uh, you know, a, uh, a person in and of itself because it was the place that, um, again, state of the art, uh, the, the place that I knew that I wanted to be. Um, and I knew that at the moment, um, you know, Hofstra had um, some good sports teams. So I knew I'd have the ability to, you know, at some point broadcast, um, you know, some pretty solid games and that's that was the draw at Hofstra um I remember that in my interview uh, I believe I interviewed with um if I'm getting I, Michelle Lisi who used to be the professor professional in residence I'm not sure if she's still a professor in uh well I'm still calling it Dempster Hall I don't care what mm-hmm. it's called now forget about the Pantone guy um but uh I, and Brandon Chase uh who eventually became a friend of mine who was in the uh, the sports department as well. So I believe those were the two people that interviewed me, and I guess I did well enough because I got in. Okay. So you pass the interview, you get through that, and then there's a training class. Do you remember anything about that, uh, about anything in particular that you learned in the course? You know, the funny thing is is I, I remember being very studious about the course and did very well in the course and took a lot of really detailed notes. And honestly, I mean, it's been a very long time. It's been almost 25 years and it's, it's hard to remember. Um, you know, I haven't been behind a board, um, in almost as long because once I left, uh, WRHU, I, you know, no longer did radio. Um, so it's, it's hard to remember some of the things I learned, uh, as far as I know that we needed to do station IDs at the top of the hour, legal IDs at the top of the hour. I mean, and I know we needed to check the readings on the, uh, the, the, the tower at the, Constitution Hall. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else I can remember. Yeah, that's basically the things that I remember. And then, you know, just making sure that, you know, levels were right. And, you know, certain certain uh, PSAs were played at certain times. Uh, and that's that's the things that I remember about uh, the training course. And then I, you know, enjoyed my tracking time. I did tracking time mostly with folks that were already on the radio station that were friends of mine. So it made it a little bit easier. And, uh, you know, got to learn how to do the, uh, the technical stuff and actually turned out to be pretty good at it. I was one of the, uh, uh, the sort of go-to people when it came to like a big sports game being broadcast. Uh, they, they always wanted me behind the board for it. So I actually took pride in that. And it's actually now kind of sad that I think I can't remember mo- most of the stuff. Also, the boards changed so much. I, the last time I saw the board when I was there a couple of years ago, it's so much more intricate now that I probably wouldn't know what to do. I have a feeling you'd, you'd, you'd figure something out or at least be able to, to fake your way through it, given given your experience. Uh, but I want to go back to you were talking about uh, your tracking time. You said people that you knew, whether these are people that you had met on campus or relationships you'd had prior. Like, what, what, was there were there people that you already knew at the station when you got there? 
Yeah, so there was a friend of mine um, from the dorms um, that had joined um, right away as soon as he got to Hofstra. And, you know, I waited a semester and then joined the, the radio station. So he was there already. So I always look to see when his, um, you know, time period was throughout the week uh, and would always sign up for his time because, again, it was easy because I was with a friend and somebody that I knew. And I branched out a little bit. I also wanted to make sure that I tried to be part of a lot of the uh, uh, the sports broadcasts as well. Um, and so I was able to, you know, observe, you know, locker rooms and, uh, you know, different sports broadcasts before I actually got on the station. So that also helped as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it always helps to have someone that you already know there because it makes it that much easier if you're going to go into a situation your first time behind a board, um, you know, someone that, you know, if you mess up, they're not going to get too much on your case. Hmm. Um, sports broadcasting has become so intertwined with the identity of WRHU over the last 25 years or so. But about the time that you came in, I think there was not, not necessarily a separation, but definitely like the sports department was the sports department and they were sort of their own little fraternity within a fraternity. Did you get a sense of that? Were people welcoming? Who were the people who were running things when you first got there? Oh, you've definitely spoken to some other folks from my time period. Um, yeah, the, um, the the truth of the matter is, is that for a, a, a time, and I was part of that sort of era, the sports department sort of held itself up as uh, kind of um, superior is probably the easiest way of putting it. And, and we were all very talented. We were all very good technically. We were all very good, obviously, on the air because sport, sports broadcasting does uh, you know, uh, you have to be very quick on your feet. You have to be able to adjust to a situation, calling plays, play by play, describing a situation. So we we were all very good at what we did. And, you know, in the upper echelon of broadcasters and, and technicians at WRHU. But for whatever reason, there was sort of a sense that we couldn't be, uh, you know, uh, intertwined. We had to be sort of our like you calling it a fraternity is a really good way of putting it, because that's kind of what it was. And, you know, there was, you know, sometimes tension between, um, you know, the, the executive board and the sports department. Um, we also did a lot of preemptions, and, and I know that's probably still the case. And that always brought up tension, you know, you know, do you really have to do 25 basketball games? Can't you do 20? Yeah, but the five that you're taking away are like these important games against ri- uh, rival schools that it's really hard to, to not do the broadcast for those games. And so there would always be sort of a... Uh, uh, semi-antagonistic relationship, but there was always mutual respect there. Um, you know, that that I have to give credit to uh, to Bruce Avery and Ed Ingalls, who have, uh, you know, Bolton's left us the last couple of years. They uh, created a really good balance where Bruce was, um, you know, at times um, the sort of uh, sterner parent, if you will, mm-hmm. and Ed was the parent that uh, sort of made sure that, uh, you know, the kids succeeded uh, and he, you know, he tr- treated us a little bit with, uh, you know, a little bit more kid gloves. And it was a good relationship. But, but you know, those were our two WRHU parents, Bruce Avery and, and Ann Ingalls. And the balance was created. And then I guess kind of as time went along, it just sort of evolved into a situation where everybody got along. Everybody was fine. And, you know, by, by you know, the 2010s, there wasn't really a separation anymore. So there was kind of a fraternity thing. I think that was, you know we'll take part of the blame on that. But, you know, when, when I say that we were good at everything, we were good at everything. And that's, you know, the problem is, is we kind of flaunted it a little bit more than we should have. 
Mm-hmm. That sounds that sounds correct. Whatever whatever era or decade it is, I think there's always that a bit of that edge. It's a very competitive group of people, and I think some of that is the nature of sports reporting and 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 the type of person that it uh, attracts. So I think there's that. It, it, you're kind of hinting at this uh, this high level of expectations that I think that some of that comes intrinsically from the people working there, but some of that's probably got to come from Bruce and Ed. Do you, do you have any uh, memories of them sort of saying, well, you know, this is okay, but you can do better or you need to do things at, at a higher level. You know, the one thing that I'll always remember about Bruce and Ed is that again, they had different approaches to the way that they sort of, um, you know, interacted with the students, you know, Bruce again was a little bit, you know, um, sterner and less forgiving. And, and, you know, at times, you know, was not exactly the, uh, the, the favorite of a lot of the folks who were at WRHU, specifically the folks in the sports department, whereas Ed was, you know, definitely, uh, you know, took a much uh, softer touch to things and, uh, you know, sort of explained things in a nice way, but they both, you know, I, I think Ed's goal was to make you a better broadcaster, um, and the hope would be that would what you would go in, you know, that would be your eventual job. And having been a sports broadcaster, Ed, I couldn't have asked for a better person than Ed to mm-hmm. sort of be that person. Bruce, I think, was trying to make you just an overall well, more well-rounded individual so that no matter what you do, um, you understand that there are, you know, you, you have to fit into wherever you are and there are rules and you, you can't just be reckless. Even if you're in college, you can't be reckless. You have to be able to follow those rules and hold yourself up. And it was creating a really, uh, you know, a much more professional environment at WRHU than you probably see at most college radio stations across the country. Uh, and, and because of that, I think anyone who looks back on it, um, you know, I, I reference Keith Rosari again, who was just inducted into the hall of fame. He specifically said, looking back, um, you know, obviously we've, we we all held high affinity for Ed while we were there and afterwards. But looking back, we now understand why Bruce sort of did the things that he did to try to make us into more professionals and make us, you know, we wanted to be kids, but Bruce wanted us to be adults. And as we look back, we see where he was coming from and we respect it. And, uh, and honestly, like, I thank him for that because, you know, as many lessons as I learned from Ed, um, you know, from that softer touch, I learned just as many lessons, life lessons from Bruce um, being a little bit more hard on us. Hmm. In some of my conversations with Bruce, he would emphasize the idea of creating good citizens and good people, not necessarily creating them, but helping guide people to be, you know, that that next level of responsibility and forward thinking and things like that. And I think I think your uh, your take there definitely reflects his ideal on that. And I also think Bruce understood that not everybody was going to be in this business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, s- some folks were going to be, some folks were going to succeed and, you know, be somewhere in the realm of broadcasting or radio or something in the, in that, you know, in that vein, but for other folks, not so much. And, you know, I see that, you know, there's a very, you know, there's a very professional environment and sort of the work that I do right now in government that I feel like because of Bruce, I understood it right away and I, and I adapted really quickly to it. And again, I think that that was something that, you know, creating a better citizen, it certainly worked for me. Hmm. Um, I want to go back a little bit and talking about your goal of working in sports media um, and this sort of a two part thing. So I know you're a native New Yorker. So I'm wondering 
who you were listening to or watching at the time that were sort of inspirational? And did you have much knowledge of Ed Ingalls before you met him at the station? Uh, I, I actually, I'll take the second part first. I didn't have a knowledge of Ed Ingalls uh, before I, ca- I came to the station. And once I learned about Ed Ingalls, I kind of, you know, you know, slapped myself on the wrist and saying, how did you not know who this person was? Hmm. Because the man really is a legend. And if you look at the folks who came for his tribute um, in 2019 for the uh, the 60th anniversary, you had folks that I grew up listening to, folks like Mike Breen, folks like Gary Cohen, um, you know, folks from sports media that I knew growing up that they grew up listening to Ed. So there's a lineage there that now then tracks to folks like Keith Irizarry and Jared Greenberg who are doing this now that directly comes from, you know, the Gary Cohens and the Mike Breens and then goes back to like the Marty Glickmans and the Ed Ingalls of the world. And how I didn't know that lineage, it sort of made me a little bit, you know, uh, feel like I needed to know a little bit more about the history of broadcasting, which I was glad that I was able to learn from Ed. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, as far as the voices I was listening to, I, I listed some of them. I mean, I think, you know, Gary Cohen, um, Howie Rose, you know, on, on Mets broadcasts, they were, I think the gold standard there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, Mike Breen, I got a chance when Ed was starting out the sports, sports broadcasting class, I actually got a chance to, to learn a little bit from Mike Breen and uh, he was very complimentary of my play-by-play skills. And so I, you know, sometimes I wonder maybe I should have stuck with it a little bit more, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, he just having someone like Mike Breen, who was really mostly a Knicks broadcaster at that point. Now he's like the number one voice in the NBA and having someone like that there and being able to learn from them. So those were the voices that I listened to growing up, you know, Sam Rosen, Mike Emmerich on hockey, um, the, these were the, the the folks that I hope to emulate someday, uh, and because of that, I you know I felt like I needed to hold myself up to the standard that they did when they were broadcasting games, and you know I definitely took some stuff from from them. Uh, you know I definitely you know outright stole some things from them uh, while I was broadcasting, but uh, you know th- those were the folks that I w- had hoped to be uh, one day. Hmm. So you go through the training class, you get cleared to be on the air. Do you remember getting on the air the first time? That is a really good I feel like it was on the air while I was still on the training class. Uh, I think I got on air cleared before I passed my practical exam. And I feel like it was a rock and roll oasis show. It was myself, Marcus Sigliano, uh, who was uh, the person who was already on the station, and EJ Kritz, who was in my training class with me. We all were on because we were all on our cleared uh, and we sort of basically turned it into a quasi sort of Z100 uh, rock and roll show type of thing where we probably talked a little bit more than we should have. Uh, but I think that was the first time that I was on air was during the rock and roll oasis, the three of us just hanging out. I was behind the boards and uh, still had yet to pass my practical exam and, you know, just having fun one night and, you know, then afterwards, we went to uh, a local establishment and, and, and you know, continued the conversation. Mm-hmm. We'll keep the details of that uh, to the to the wayside of history there. Were you excited about getting on the air? Were you nervous? What was your feeling about getting on the air that night? So I was definitely nervous. Um, you know, the one thing that I will say is that being at RHU and 
getting a chance to be on air certainly helped with my confidence in public speaking, which is something that is very much a part of the business that I'm in right now. That wasn't there before WRHU. And so I definitely came in with a little bit of apprehension. Um, I also was very excited about it. I was excited to get on air. I was excited to talk. And the other thing was, I, I you know, I, I just needed to build in that confidence in myself to make sure that I took a second and thought about what I was going to be saying on air, whether it be, you know, just to talk about a song that was on during the Rock and Roll Oasis or to describe a play that just happened in front of me at uh, the Hofstra Arena. And, you know, repetition is key. And that's one of the things I did. I was very, uh, very much someone who would watch games and tape myself broadcasting games while I was watching them. And listen back and see what I did good, what I did, what I needed to work on. And because of that, I think that it helped me become a better broadcaster and really just helped me become a better public speaker overall. And again, this is one of those things that eventually I went into a business that you needed to be a big, you know, a good public speaker, a good communicator. And, you know, even though I didn't wind up doing, you know, radio or broadcasting because of my time at WRHU, it made me better at the, the job that I do right now. Hmm. Do you remember doing your first sports broadcast? I'm trying to think. I, I can remember my first play-by-play broadcast. It was Hofstra women's basketball at the University of Maine. And I remember doing the broadcast. I remember thinking that I was doing okay. And at halftime, my broadcast partner, Dan Baram, who was older than me, had been doing uh, sports for a couple of years uh, longer than I had, he looked at me and for, you know, the younger guys, there was definitely a, you know, uh, I don't want to say hazing cause it wasn't hazing. It was, it was definitely, um, you know, tough love wanting to make sure that folks, you know, we're not just going to let you skirt by. We want you to work on this. And if you're not going to work on it, we're going to, we're going to keep telling you about it. But he actually looked at me and for the first time, uh, like I got like a, he's like, you're actually doing a really good job. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're actually doing a really good job. I'm I'm overly impressed with the job that you're doing. So I, I I realized at that point that I was actually pretty good at this. And when I got back home, I got similar compliments from some of the other the other older staff members. So I I remember that game against the University of Maine, um, my first ever play by play, and it was uh, it was it was a great experience. Um, and one that I, I definitely still remember to this day, um, certainly better than my last ever play by play, um, which if you'll indulge me, sure, um, sure. at a women's basketball tournament in Florida at Stetson university. Um, so Hofstra played Stetson in the first game, beat Stetson. They were playing Moorhead state in the second game. However, the scoreboard was not digital. It was stationary and it said Stetson guest. So obviously I read guest as Hofstra, but every time I looked at the scoreboard, instead of saying Moorhead State, I kept saying Stetson and it got in my head to the point where I couldn't stop saying Stetson. Hofstra uh, scores. They're now down two points to Stetson, Moorhead State. My broadcast partner, um, Ed's late son, Kevin Ingalls, was writing me notes and the, 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 the lowercase writing became capital letters, became exclamation points. Moorhead State, Moorhead State. And for whatever reason, I just I couldn't get it out of my head. It's like very similar to like a, a, a pitcher just not being able to hit the strike zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that's exactly what happened to me. I got the yips and I couldn't get it out of my head, finished the broadcast. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, I wound up departing uh, WRHU and, and leaving Hofstra. Uh, so it was an unfortunate, but now as I look back upon it, kind of comical final broadcast. Wow. Oh, my heart breaks for you. That's that. Did you did you have any idea that would be your last game, or was it? Didn't realize it. Didn't realize it at the time. Um, which I guess is why I wasn't too hard on myself at the time because I knew it wasn't. I didn't know it was going to be my final broadcast. I've since been back at RHU and you know done you know um, some uh, some sports commentary, some some political commentary. So it's uh, you know I, I've definitely got back on the air at RHU since then, and uh, definitely have done better than that and got the names of uh, the schools right. Uh, but yeah, for, for a final broadcast, especially not knowing it was going to be my final broadcast, it was one of those things that, uh, yeah, do I wish I could take it back? Yeah. But at the same time, now I look back upon it um, and it's just one of those things I laugh about. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good story. Um, going back to those early days, um, would it be fair to say you got comfortable on the air right away or, or pretty quickly? Was there a moment other than that, that, that game in Maine where you were like, okay, I've got this, I'm doing this. Yeah. I, I, I had the apprehension at first, but it became a comfortable environment for me very quickly. Cause I was talking about things that uh, I was very passionate about. I was talking about sports. I was talking about, you know, rock and roll Oasis. I was playing Bruce Springsteen. So I was talking about Bruce Springsteen, which, uh, you know, is something I could talk about for hours. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it became a very comfortable environment and the people who were around me were very knowledgeable and, you know, we're, we're happy to sort of carry the load for, for someone coming in new and uh, until, you know, I got my feet wet and being able to do that and, you know, be in studio for commentary to then going to a site and being a sideline reporter to doing color commentary and, you know, describing a play to calling the play-by-play action. It became almost second nature and it was not a situation where after, after really a, a couple of months, I felt like I could do just about anything on the air and, you know, was uh, more than comfortable behind a mic. Hmm. And to follow that up, it seems like socially you got pretty comfortable at the station pretty quickly. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I I, I always had a, a very amiable personality. That's something that I got from my father, as well as the public speaking skills, because he was a uh, he was a union president. So he had those public speaking skills that I certainly inherited it from him. I just needed to find a, an outlet for it and got it at RHU. But I was always someone who was friendly with folks, um, you know, even though we sort of had our little, you know, separate, you know, fraternity in the sports department, I got along with everybody at the station. I had very few people that I had antagonistic relationships with. And even if they were antagonistic, it was temporary. It was, you know, something happened and we were kids and we, you know, got overly angry about something. And then a couple of days later we were fine. So I had great relationships with folks throughout the station um, you know, whether they be in sports department or not. So it was, it was something that I enjoyed. And there are folks that I'm still friends with now. In fact, I was in Las Vegas last week, uh, and someone who was in my training class, uh, Marcy Skolnick, who was eventually the producer of the dead zone, um, who was someone I'm still friends with to this day. Um, so, you know, she wasn't in sports. She wasn't even in news. She was there to do specifically like the dead, the dead zone. Cause she was very much into the grateful dead. And, that was, uh, you know, uh, that's a friendship that's continued to last throughout the years. And, you know, um, was was part of Keith Irizarry's wedding, was Greg Rice's, uh, one of Greg Rice's best men, uh, to which I classify that as the other guy was the best man, I was the better man. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, have, you know, seen children born of folks that 
I went to the radio station with. And, you know, these are, you know, even though I'm not in the, the radio or sports business, the one thing that I got out of RHU was lasting friendships, uh, including people that are some of my closest friends to this day. And I think that's part of it is I think you, you join the radio station to do something professionally. You also join it to sort of for a sense of community. It's all folks who are trying to do something, whether it be as a professional thing, something that they're looking to start a career in or something that's just, you know, want to do this show for a couple of years while I'm studying acting, um, which is what my friend Marcy did. So, um, you know, that's that's the good thing about RHU. I think it's really a, a place where people can go and, you know, learn a lot about career uh, and, and professionalism, but also learn, you know, you know, find kindred spirits. Hmm. So I, I think you've already answered my last question, but I'm, I'm going to ask it again. Anyway, I always ask people that, you know, can you go back in time to being 18 years old and, and showing up at the station the first time? And what did you hope Hofstra radio would be at that time? And what did it become? Um, what I, what did I hope it would be? I hope it w- would have been a place where I could learn and, uh, you know, find the skills to eventually do the thing that I wanted to do. The reason why I went to Hofstra, which was become a sports broadcaster. But what it actually did is it, it did kind of segue me into my eventual career. You know, as I mentioned, I, I was very comfortable on the air. I was also very good as far as, um, you know, technical stuff. And because of that, um, you know, Ed and Bruce, entrusted me to do election night coverage and that sort of piqued my interest in politics that eventually became my career um so i'm not sure if i could go back and say to uh 18 year old me like this is going to be your uh your your path and you know you're gonna you're gonna be perfectly fine with it you're gonna love it and it's going you're gonna enjoy every step of the way i think 18 year old me would probably still say yeah but i still want to be the next the next Gary Cohen or the next Mike Breen and, you know, go away 41 year old guy who might look like me in the future. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your stories. This has been uh, so much fun and I really appreciate it. I've got more questions. I hope you have some more stories and we can do this again sometime. Sounds like a plan. Thank you for doing this, Brian. I think this is incredibly important. It's something that we didn't do back in the day. I think learning the history of folks who've come through the the halls of WRHU and the the other iterations of Hofstra Radio, I think is incredibly important for those coming in now to sort of see that, you know, things were just the same as, uh, as they are now and maybe a little bit different and we can learn from each other. So thanks for doing this.